again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. Welcome to another Your Life's Work podcast. How are you? How's it going? Welcome to day five of the, uh, what is this? The Social Media Fast series? Day five. Today we're talking to Joe Cole, who is uh, undoubtedly probably one of my favorite pastors in the world. And just because he's a pastor, don't let that fool you, because the guy's got stuff to talk about. And we're going to talk about TPs and death. TPs and death. Like, how do you, as my wife takes out books from the bags, she's, I can, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. She's just waving at me. Uh, anyways, what we're doing with the series, and you no doubt know, is we're just being super intentional as we kind of step away from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, because that's a thing, uh, because that, that is a thing. And uh, over the next 40 days, uh, I'm introducing you to some of my, my favorite, favorite people. And Joe's one of those guys. Uh, Southern California dude, um, just a great guy. If you're looking for a church in San Diego and you're listening to me in San Diego, he's got a great place. Uh, so, hey, here is Joe. Okay. All right. Okay. So the whole premise of this whole deal is you're on social, right? You're on Instagram. You're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Sure. First off, I should probably tell everybody who you are. Okay. Well, you tell everybody who you are. It's I'm better, Joe. It's better that way. What do you do, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> for the record, he just he just acted like he vomited. He vom- Joe, by the record, for the record, one of my one of my favorite people in the world. Um, you know, that's true. I'm I'm not even. I'm, okay, there's sure. no bullshitting going on here. None, okay, right. none. It's not it's not happening. You are a pastor, Carlsbad, California, living like a block away from the beach. Several blonde haired boys surfing out of your house. That's who, true. Who belong to you. That is true. Yeah, they're yep. not like strangers. Nope. You have a wife. How long have you been married? 20 years. You have a teepee in the backyard. I have a teepee. What a, get, real quick, we got to go to the teepee super quick. Teepee super the, rad. How big is the teepee? Teepee is a full-size uh, Sioux teepee, 23 feet in diameter. sits on a massive platform in our garage, fully furnished, absolutely gorgeous, livable. I mean, you know, carpet and a double bed and dressers and internet and... A trash can and dirty the, clothes. The and, teepee has internet. Yeah, it's and, in, yeah. And you said it's a Sioux teepee. What is, is? There's a difference between a Cherokee and a there Sioux is, teepee. Yeah. Well, give me help me there. Uh, the people we bought it from said it was a Sioux teepee, so that's all I got. <laughs> so you've never really like no, Wikipedia. we've done some research. Yeah, no, you yeah. can look at different teepees that are set up in different ways. Yeah. And so this is a Sioux teepee, and it's just the way it's designed and set up. And like the, the way you assemble the teepee makes a difference in different tribes or cultures. Okay. I got you. Right. Like in different cultures, the way you build a house or the way you organize a house is different. So in the Sioux culture, it's just different. The way they set up a teepee is different. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine one culture to the other thinks their teepee is probably the best. Sure. Yeah. My teepee is great. So the teepee, uh, was there before you guys moved in? Nope. We built the teepee. You built it. it You put it in. Right. Okay, and the teepee serves what function? Because there's like a real deal here. There's a story to the teepee. Sure, right. So we, um, through the course of uh, some long-distance swimming and some drinking and some good food and people, decided that it would be really cool to build a really unique space. Like we were thinking at that time, a treehouse, a yurt, or a teepee. We don't have any trees in our backyard, so that was easy to get rid of that one. Uh, I don't know how to spell yurt, so I don't, that one. And so the teepee. And so we thought if we create a, a space where people could live for a year, like if you could give people a break for a year, if you could take mortgage and rent and utilities and all that crap off your plate for a year, that would help you make some decisions or transition or 
like look at who you are or what you're doing or if your marriage was hanging on by a thread and you move into a teepee for a year and you don't have bills and those types of things, it's going to change you. So we thought, what if we built that and allowed people to live there rent-free, like totally free, like we don't charge anybody anything to live there. You just live there. I mean, the cost is, is that you're going to live with my family. <laughs> but so, wait, I mean, this is a massive deal in Southern California. Like there are people listening in Southern California are going to track you down. Live rent-free in my teepee, in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And because you're provi- there's like something in the back of your, in your heart, really, that you're providing for these folks. Absolutely. And that's like, hey, take, take the burden off for a year and get it and get your shit together, like kind of a deal. Yeah. So it's uh, take the burden off. But you know what? Like, it's more than that, man, because I don't know. It sounds, uh, I don't mean to sound all trippy and weird, but like there's something like living in a circle. I don't know. That makes a difference. Like you can't be pissed off at your wife and go sit in your study. Or go hang out somewhere else. Like, you can be pissed off at your wife and you're stuck with her in a teepee. It's intentional. So shit gets real and you've got to deal with it. It's not warm. There's no heat. It's cold. The bathroom is in our house. And Jody and I live in 700 square feet with four teenage boys and one microscopic bathroom and a teeny little kitchen with no dishwasher. So, like, things get real very quickly. So you have to share everything. We don't have room for you to have your toothpaste and our toothpaste. We literally have room for a tube of toothpaste. So everything has to be shared. And so your mess has to be shared. You're struggled. You're, bleh, you can't hide a whole lot at my house. Everything's exposed. And what so, are the benefits? So I get the benefits for people living in the teepee. Like right away, I'm like, I would like to, can I live in the teepee? Yeah. So what are the benefits going on between you, Jody, and the, and the boys? Because there's got to be a... Sure. I mean, there has to be some massive kind of my boys understand sacrifice. My boys understand giving up things for other people. My boys understand what it means to live in community. And I know that word gets thrown around and messed up and has been ruined and rebuilt and ruined and rebuilt over time. But there's a sense of community in our house. Like you can't, everything you do is going to affect somebody else in my house. If you leave a bunch of crap laying around, that's going to affect someone else. And if you, but in the same way, if you fold somebody else's laundry, that has an effect too, right? There's a positive effect. So we do. So we fold, everybody folds everybody's laundry. And guess what? Everybody wears underpants. So it's not like, oh, I don't look at my, you know, and we all wear it. So it just is what it is. So my boys understand different cultures. They understand different people. They understand different ways of life. They understand. How many people have we had in the teepees up to date? So our, we've just started this a couple of years ago. So we've only, we had a, one couple was our original couple and they were part of the original idea of it. And their names are John and Rose and they are family to us and we love them. They live on the East coast now. She's either having a baby this moment or going to soon. We love them. And then we took a little break. Just, I mean, we don't advertise. We don't look, we're not hunting down people. We're like, we got this space and so there was a season where it was just empty, literally empty, nothing in it. It was kind of weird. And then now we have three adults living there. We have um, two dudes, from one's from Georgia, one's from the Northeast. Where and did then, we get these guys? And then the girl, she's from Mozambique. So there's two dudes and, and a, a chick living mm-hmm. in the teepee. Mm-hmm. Is there any separation, any privacy in the Sioux teepee? Sioux, right? Sioux teepee? Yeah. Is there no, any- there's no privacy. I mean, really, what could there be? I mean, you could like, I could hang a curtain, but you know, 
Well, that's yeah. not going to do anything. Yeah. So the privacy exists. And they're young? That, These are young people? No, uh, 20s, uh, uh, late 20s, early 30s. So right off the bat, I'm like, there's got to be shenanigans going on in the There's teepee. shenanigans going on in the teepee, sure. <laughs> Why wouldn't there be? Wouldn't you? Okay, so you Listen, don't. when they're all out of town, do you not think that we go out there and like, no, there's I got shenanigans? Okay, it's yeah. a teepee, bro. Yeah. It's and, cool. Yeah. It's a cool space, man. <laughs> Maybe I need to not know that. I don't know. Oh, well, all right. Well, I'm apparently, it's on the internet, so everybody's going to know it now. Well, it turns out the Sioux teepee is the perfect place for shenanigans it is so you don't care necessarily about the shenanigans like you're willing to take on the shenanigans sure because i mean there's some people that would i could see this kind of movement in somebody's life like have some serious rules and boundaries and like you know crazy dogmatic expectations and but you're i mean this is this is not your teepee i mean that's not your teepee right not even close yeah yeah that makes me want to like vomit like i did at the beginning yeah. Like somebody's moving into my teepee and I'm saying you can freely live there for a year and then I'm going to put all these rigid rules and regulations on you. That's yeah. not a free teepee for a year. Yeah. What is uh what is a deal is is there a deal breaker? Like if they do X there is a like hey, you can't live in the teepee. Like is no. is there a deal breaker? Uh, there hasn't been and we don't have bound we haven't stated those boundaries with them or with anybody. Yeah. But if somebody, you know, like things could go sideways, like you're like a raging drunk every day, all day, I'm probably going to ask you to leave my teepee because like at the end of the day, I have children and like, that's not the way I want to live. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I might no, ask yeah. you not to just leave, but Hey, I want to get you some help. Like, right. I mean, but other than that, I mean, if there was abuse or, or something really awful or criminal or like that, but not some moral thing. Yeah. Right. I right. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and that's good. The um, so are there because you're a dude that loves the divine for a living is helping people into risenness, helping people in a new awareness of self. And um, is there are there those deep conversations around the teepee? Mm -hmm. Like like in, in 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 is that kind of the motivation, or do you just let it let it happen where it happens? It just lets it just happens, right? But because we share meals together constantly. Because we just have to live in these close quarters because right now it's winter and it, believe it or not, it is cold in Carlsbad. And so they come into the house all the time. I mean, they live in the house too. So of course those conversations come up. If you have someone visit for the weekend, you can avoid all those conversations. But if you have someone move in for a year in close quarters, it's unavoidable that there's going to be heavy conversations yeah. about your soul and about your heart and about your mind and your dreams and hopes and fears and the things that you just want to freaking punch in the face and the things that bring you great joy and everything in between. Would Is, is uh, a teepee you know, kind of a deal for how you teach other people who don't know your, your, about your teepee? Like, like there could be like teepeeism for me. It's like, it's like, Hey man, this is like a, a movement like to, cause again, part of my movement for the next 40 days is to just intentionally rush in, right. And mm -hmm. go and go, Hey, beyond the liking, the, the thumbs upping, the harding, mm -hmm. right. You know, there's an algorithm right now that you can plug people's birthdays in and an email will generate on their birthday. So you don't necessarily have to say happy birthday anymore an email will go to you and it was just happy birthday which is the point i'm doing here right now so in tpism like do you exercise the tpism away from the tp you know what i mean like is it like a movement for you to go hey man like we shouldn't have any kind of moral 
necessarily moral dogmatic understanding of movement. We should really have a love movement to say, hey, come into my teepee and hang out for a year and hopefully it'll change your life. No, I don't know if I'm getting too no. deep on it. You know I, mean, I mean, I don't I think I don't think we're overthinking it. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it's some movement. I, you know, I, I hope we're trying to do that with the people that live next door to us because it's, you know, we have a teepee and it's in our backyard, but our neighbors have neighbors with a teepee in their backyard. Oh, no kidding. So, right. And it, so the city knows I have a teepee. I got you. Yeah. People see the teepee. We have people that drive by and I find them in my side yard taking pictures of our teepee. <laughs> if you look on Google earth, you'll see our teepee. Like it changes our neighborhood a little bit because everybody goes, what are you doing? And we say, well, well, these people are living in our teepee and the way what? And so it affects our neighborhood, but I don't, I, I don't think it's a movement where I would want everybody in North County, San Diego to build the teepee in their backyard. Yeah. I guess the movement is, is I want everybody in North County to live different, to experience something different, to stop pulling into your garage and closing the door. And right. I mean, there's something about like the backyard barbecue that I love, but I think the backyard barbecue on some level is an avoidance of the front yard barbecue. Oh yeah, dude, that's good. So I think we were trying, I think the teepee, because it's so big, you can't hide it. I don't have people living in a cave. Uh, it creates a front yard barbecue in our neighborhood. It creates a conversation. It's unavoidable. Why are you doing this? Because we love people. Oh, are you, you're a Christian. So are you doing this to convert people? No. Are the people that do you have to be a believer in Jesus to live in that? No. Do you have to? No. Right. And so that creates a conversation in the neighborhood, yeah. a movement. I don't know. About well, that. and it's, what's funny is for me, it's the cat I'm captivated on the free part because Southern California, you're so inundated with like, you hit the five, it's a hundred bucks. Like that's my joke mm -hmm. with everybody. It's like, you yeah. get on the five, you're a hundred dollars out. That's how it goes. So to say, Hey, I have a free place and, and not some crap place. I mean, the teepee is a, it's a nice teepee. Your house is a nice home. You literally live a block from the beach. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like, what there's a free opportunity so i think that's what captivates people you know into that what's the catch right what's the catch which is what i find a lot with people like when you're loving people sometimes that you know yeah. <laughs> that can be a thing like right. eventually joe's gonna come out here and want you know me right. to cook my rice or some right. some right. bullshit like that yeah no catch and i think in some ways we just we want to introduce and it is the location matters like, I think we would have a different mindset. It'd be different for my family if we were living 100 miles inland. Yeah, no, I agree. That's even, just not who here. we are. Yeah, I even, don't know. I mean, yeah, you could here. do it here, but if, if my family did it here, it'd be different because my family would be different if we lived here. Right, right, We're different right. people. I mean, you talk about the five. We consider everything east of the five. That's the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, I have to drive out to meet you. Like, we're in Kansas right yeah, now. Yes, I don't even know what we're doing. Well, I and I always get pissed knowing that you're coming because I lived right there. So it's like it's all, always bums me out. And I think we want to introduce people to how we live as a family. Yeah. And how we function as a family, which is no way perfect at all. I mean, we're a messed up ragtag group of folks, but I think we live our life different. And I think the ocean plays a huge role in that. So yeah, some huge. people that live in the teepee or have have no connection with the ocean at all. It's a scary, dangerous thing that you avoid. And we want to introduce them to a life lived in, I don't know, it's not to sound cheesy, but like kind of in community with nature, with the environment. It's, to us, that matters. It's a big, it's it, a big thing. It's giving anyone the opportunity to kind of look inward. And I would imagine Absolutely. living in a teepee, living by the beach, living with a bunch of kids, uh, and a family who says, 
come live here is definitely an inward look. Like, how do you not? How do you not? Absolutely. In whatever walk of life you are, whatever belief system you're in. Okay, that's good. Thanks for the TV story. Now, can we talk about funerals or no? Sure. Okay. So, Joe, how many funerals have you done, did last year? And give us a number. And people will think this is garbage, but go ahead. Give us the number. Somewhere around 90. Okay. So, Joe, uh, who is is a pastor, and again, we would think normally like, well, pastors do funerals. And, of course, they do. There are other people who do funerals, too. But uh, you, you did 90 funerals last year. So right away, like I know there's people like, what, what, is, what is that? What, what, what is that? The more discovery I have with you, though, about the funerals, like there's a real, like I think people would think like, oh, like, well, just tell us, what is the draw to do funerals? Uh, you know, I think that in a place of death where people are faced with death, experiencing death, overwhelmed with death. I feel like the world doesn't know what to do with those people. So we certainly, Christianity sends a whole lot of cheap platitudes their way and a bunch of fake and false. And I, I just believe those people deserve the best care and they deserve to be seen and heard and valued in that and not have something shoved down their throat or not make it into something else. But like death is real. And it sucks. It sucks a lot. I've experienced it personally this year and last year and so on. I'm like, right? Death sucks, man. I hate it. But there's just something beautiful about walking into that with people. I mean, holding somebody's hand as they die. And the other hand is in the hand of, like, their daughter. Like, that's real. It's some of the most real, most profound moments of my life. Yeah. And I'm not preaching and I'm not trying to get people to believe what I believe. And I'm not trying to be somebody else. I'm not. And I'm I'm giving people freedom to just grieve and mourn and celebrate and remember and everything in between. And it's very real. There's no bullshit at a funeral. Yeah, there's none of that. And everybody that shows up is faced with their own mortality Everybody, including me, sits at a funeral. So I've sat 90 times at least this year in a space, in a place, and thought to myself 90 times, what will people say at my service? Mm. Who will show up at my funeral? Dude, talk about knowing. What will the slideshow be that plays at my deal? Like, what will the arguments be about what Joe wanted or didn't want? What will the music be? Will somebody get upset that, the Grateful Dead will be played. Like, you know, like there might be a TP, right? <laughs> you know, so everybody's thinking that at a service, and it's a, uh, I think it's a really profound moment to yeah. speak into people's lives and to remind them of their value and worth, and that they're okay, and that there's a place for them, and that they're seen and heard. And like, I think that grief, I do. I think that grief and loss makes every person, everybody that experiences that, everybody feels separated and alone. Grief always makes us feel alone. Nobody knows what it's like to be me. Yeah, right. And when we, if you do it right, when we gather, not that I always do it right, but if you do it in an honest way, you can gather people together and everybody can have a moment where they can look around and realize that in fact, they're not alone and that they do belong somewhere. And that they have value, that it's, and that their grief has value, and their joy has value, their sorrow has value, their pain has value, 
their successes have value. Like it all, it, it matters. There's value in that. And so that's why I do those. That's why I do funerals. I mean, I just love to, to be in that moment. How do you, or what is your practicality? I, I'm, I'm talking to people every day about really knowing self. And I would imagine that 90 funerals has some kind of exhaust to it and can be very heavy for a soul, for a mind, for even the mm-hmm. body. How do you, what, what are your practical kind of steps to kind of not shake it off, but to just to make sure mm-hmm. you're not, you know, sitting in those very, very sorrowful, impactful moments. Right. Because a lot of times when I talk about funerals, most people think that I buried 90 old people this year. Right. Right. 90 people that are somewhere between the age of 82 and older. Most yeah. people die between 80 and 84 ish right in there. So everybody thinks those are the people, right? I did a funeral this year. Oh, like my grandma's last year. Got it. But the reality is, is that suicide is rampant Huge. in our culture. Yeah. Uh, traffic accidents and things like that, where you think today's going to be a great day. And then that's the day that you lost your kid because of, right. I mean, that happens all the time. So those things are really, really heavy. So you have to sort of recognize where you're at. And I've been doing this for a long time. So it's what I call death overload. So if I bury a child on Monday and then I bury a mom on Tuesday and then um, that coming Thursday, I bury an 82 year old. I need to recognize that I just haven't had the time to mourn and grieve the kid on Monday. Not even not to even mention the woman on Tuesday and then the person on Thursday. Like I just... So you got to give yourself some space. You got to cut yourself some slack and recognize like it's going to take some time to grieve and mourn and to just allow that to be. So I write a lot and I speak a lot uh, about it. I talk about it with my kids. I know that sounds crazy, but like if I put a shirt and tie on, which, you know, I never do, although I'm wearing one now because I came from a funeral. Yeah, right. Um, if I put a shirt and tie on, my kids know what's happening. And they know that there's a good chance that dad's going to get a few extra bucks in his pocket, which is, you know, like I work at a church and they pay me and that's fine. This isn't what I do for money. But oftentimes people will say, hey, thanks. We appreciate that. And I'll give you a few bucks and I'll put it in my pocket. And my boys know that that means that that night there's money that does not go in the general fund. And so that means there's a good chance that we're going to buy pizza. Yeah, Poyos Marias. It's right? typically pizza, it's right, in my house. Like, the boys know we, we have pizza, pizza right. Port? Yeah, no, it gets delivered, we get pizza. Yeah. And, and I've just said over the years, like, that time of pizza is going to, I'm going to tell them, hey, you guys, let me tell you today about this guy. Yeah, yeah. And he had three huge. tours in Vietnam, suffered from the effects of Agent Orange. He was a daredevil. He was the jokester. He was, you know, I'll tell him about that story. And so for me, speaking and sharing and talking about the person who's died to other people and to share that story, that's one of the ways that I can care for my own soul and sort of not just offload it or vent it, but find a place for it in my life. I can't get rid of it. That's not a thing. It's to, like I want to get rid of my pain or get rid of my grief and loss. I don't think that's a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. It's finding a place for it in your life, the right place for it in your life. Yeah, there you go. So for me, talking about it over pizza and a beer with my boys, they're having soda or something, like that helps me put it in the right place. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't overwhelm me or, or cause fear. Like, oh my God, or, you know, like when you bury a mom or bury a wife, I mean, that could spiral me out and say, what's going to happen when I have to bury mine? 
well, that's no, I don't want to live in that kind of fear. Yeah. So I have to put it in the right place. Yeah. What is, um, what is one observation from doing 90 funerals that you can, that we can like, everybody goes to funerals. Not everybody goes to 90, obviously. For most people, it may be a new experience um, as they grieve whatever loved one or friend that they've lost. What is one observation that you've made that can help somebody leaning into death um, that can, you know, just a, a nugget, if you will, would yeah. of, of wisdom for somebody who's, you know, putting black on right now because somebody died? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that, um, you know, a reminder that we don't get over death. It doesn't go, the grief and loss doesn't go away, nor should we try to make it go away. If death, if, if grief and the pain and the hurt and the tears and the sorrow goes away, then what we're really saying is that we also want love to go away. Mm, and, and then that's just not a thing. So, so I tell people all the time, you're like, you're not going to get over this. And I tell people all the time, if somebody says, oh, you'll get over this, it'll you know, like time will heal all wounds. I say, you tell them that the pastor said this was okay. And then you freaking kick him in the shin because <laughs> it's not going to go away. It's now, not. I think that, and I believe that with the help of uh, our faith and the help of family and community and friends, whatever that looks like for folks, that we can learn to live with loss. But loss is not, not going to go away. Grief and pain are not going to go away, and you don't want them to. So when you fall apart in 20 years because you're reminded of something, because a smell or a taste or a song or an emotion, something reminded you of your loved one that passed, and tears surface and that death feels like it was yesterday, it's simply, a, and I know it sucks, but it's a reminder that love remains. It's a reminder that love is still there. It doesn't go away. So I always tell folks, don't fight that. Nothing's wrong when you're falling apart 20 years later. I mean, I met a girl a couple weeks ago, and she said, you know, her grandmother had passed, and she said, well, my dad passed away four years ago. So, mm. and I said, you do realize that your dad died yesterday. Like, four years isn't a thing. Yeah, it's not a like, thing. Like, it's not a thing. Like, well, four years, I broke my ankle four years ago. Like, why are you still limping? Like... Get, why are you not healed, right? In death, we don't heal like that. We learn to carry that grief and to live with that grief. And the tears and the sorrow and the pain, they're worth embracing and they're worth sitting in and they're worth allowing because love is worth it. Um, damn good stuff. I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. Um, again, uh, the exercise is to intentionally move to one another, whether it's through teepee or death. Um, there is a real thing there. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your example. Um, I made it part of uh, this course of 40 days to make sure I look squarely at people and go, I love you. And uh, you mean the world to me. And uh, boy, I'm so glad that Ryan uh, put us together at some cause. And I'm so glad to have walked with you. Um, and I can, I can't wait to see what's next for you, but dude, I appreciate your TPism. I lo I always have loved your TPism and uh, I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks brother. Love you too. Maybe TP and death is the name of my new band. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks. All right. Good people. Joe, he's the man. Um, if you want to know more about him, new hope, uh, church, Carlsbad, new hope church, Carlsbad. Uh, good dude. I thank him very much uh, for joining us. And uh, man, I tell you, I mean, 
all the all the between the teepees and the death, I just want everybody to kind of get like the big atmospherical place to land on all that is how much life there is when you give of yourself, when you really take time out to kind of understand where people are and intentionally move into that spot. So uh, listen, I encourage you to do that. If you need me, I'm JR, JRMan.com, J-R-M-A-H-O-N.com. I'm JR at uh, JRMan.com. There's a number on the website. You can call that number and I'll actually pick up if I'm not talking to somebody. I will, I will go, hello? Or you can text it and I will literally text back, hey, how you doing? Or you can email me and I promise you within maybe an hour or so, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you back. But anyways, if you're looking for a spiritual director or a mentor, a spiritual director or a mentor, I'm it. Um, feel free to give me a call. Love you all. Talk to you tomorrow.